Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. It's uh, great to see all of you here this weekend. And uh, I want to begin with uh, an imaginary scenario. Imagine for a moment if you had to sacrifice the most precious possession of yours. You had to sacrifice it. You had to, you had to give it up. You had to put it away. You had to sell it. Imagine for a moment if God commanded you to give up your most precious possession. I think obviously that would be difficult for some of us, right? It would be hard to give that up. But what if that possession was a person? What if, for example, you had been battling infertility for many, many years, and then all of a sudden you had a child, only one child, and God called you to sacrifice, not to give up for adoption, not to, you know, abandon, but actually to kill. If you had to kill the most precious person to you, can you imagine for a moment what that would be like? I don't know what I would do. I mean, initially, thoughts would be racing through my mind. If God were to command me to do that, I would say, am I crazy? Could God really say that to me? I mean, he wouldn't. He couldn't. After all, this is the same God that called people not to murder. It is, after all, one of the Ten Commandments. There is no way that God would call me to kill one of my children. I mean, that's absurd. And, and, and how would I ever tell Laura, my wife, that I heard from God on that one, Right? I mean, that sounds completely absurd. Well, this is where we meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. If you remember 10 chapters earlier, God made a promise to Abraham that he would be a nation. In order to be a nation, he had to have a child. Unfortunately, at the time in which he received this promise in Genesis chapter 12, he was a fatherless father Abraham. In fact, him and his wife, Sarah, had been battling infertility for 25 years. Eventually, we come to the text and Sarah conceives of a child. Now, she's uh, 90 years of age at this time, and um, Abraham is 100, right? Wow, imagine that. Anybody 90 or 100 years old and you're having your first child, whew, that's a lot, Okay. And this is where we find Abraham in one of the greatest tests of his entire life. Because fast forward 15 years later, when Isaac, who's their child, is now a teenager, God says, I want you to go and sacrifice your one and only son. That's pretty extreme. I'm not sure what I would do. I don't know about you. Now, let me just pause here and give you just a bit of historical context. In the Old Testament, sacrificing, blood sacrifice was a part of the culture. So every religion would sacrifice, whether it was animals or even human beings, blood sacrifice was a part of that culture. And Abraham had made sacrifices prior to this unto the Lord. But this test, this sacrifice was like none other. This would require that he would give his most precious son unto the Lord. Now, I'm not sure what I would do, but here's what I do know. One thing I know is that our faith will be tested if we want to have a giant faith. Amen? 
you didn't sound too thrilled about that. <laughs> and I understand, I get it. I mean, who wants to amen the fact that we're going to be tested? Because it's difficult, right? If we were honest, amen? Yeah. Now see, now that's real. Now you're not playing church because when you get tested, it's difficult. When you get tested, you wonder, is God really around? Is this really happening to me? God, I thought I was faithful and obedient, and yet you continue to test me. Why God? Have you ever asked that question? That's one of my favorite prayers. Why God? Why God are you doing this? Why are you doing this now? Why? What's up with this? If you are our guest today, you came for a great Great conclusion to our series called Giant Faith. If you're joining us online and you're not in the state of Wisconsin, I have to tell you, we had some of the best spring weather yesterday. <laughs> yeah, they're all laughing because we got between 8 and 12 inches of snow, wet and heavy. It was like white sand from heaven. So wherever you're watching from, I know you wish you were here in Wisconsin. I'm not grumpy or bitter about that whole deal. <laughs> no. Seriously, though, we're wrapping up our brief exploration into the life of Abraham. We're looking at this patriarch. Remember what a patriarch, patriarch is defined as? It's one of the fathers of the faith. So it's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They started this entire lineage known as the people of God, the Israelites. It begins with Abraham. And as we've been studying his life, we've been finding out so many interesting things about faith. That's why we've been talking about giant faith, because faith impacts every area of your life. Faith impacts your friendship with God. In fact, if you're coming in, you're kind of coming in at the end of the movie, if you will, so the credits are rolling. And if you're just joining us today, let me kind of bring you up to speed on the storyline. In the first week, we discovered that faith begins in friendship with God. Now, the question is, what is faith? Well, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is a confidence in who God is. Faith goes beyond reason. Faith goes beyond facts. Faith goes beyond fear. Faith goes beyond yourself. It looks upward into heaven and says, God, I am trusting and I am confident in you. And a part of growing our faith, it begins in developing a relationship with God. Remember the title of Abraham? His only most significant title was that he was God's friend. So faith impacts our relationship with God. It impacts our spirituality. It impacts our, our growth at the deepest levels of who we are. In the second week, we talked about how, how faith impacts our future, the vision that God has for us, the dreams, the hopes that we have for ourselves that Abraham experienced great faith, giant faith, when he stepped out, when God gave him a promise. He said, I'm going to give you a land, but I'm going to show you where this land is. What you need to do is you need to be obedient. One of the key takeaways of week two is simply this, that obedience grows our faith. Obedience grows our faith. And then last week, we talked about faith and finances. Because how many know it takes faith to incorporate God into your financial world, doesn't it? It takes faith. And what we learned is that really all giving is a matter of the heart and that giving is in response to God's blessing. Looked at that message and we found, we discovered that the first time the word tithe is used is in Abraham's story prior to the law that was given to Moses. So if you missed any of those messages, I would just encourage you to watch those in their entirety on our YouTube channel or go to our website at pathwayschurch.us. But today... Today, I want to delve into the supreme test of Abraham's life. I want to look at 
how God tested Abraham's faith when he called him to sacrifice his son. If you have a Bible or a mobile device, I would encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And while you're turning there, let me just say this. I'm so encouraged. I'm so encouraged, really impressed by the way in which you've been challenging yourself to grow in your faith. If you have this card, we've been doing this every week. Why don't you take this card and wave it at me one more time? One more time. Just take this card and wave Guys, you have been doing such a great job with this. I've been hearing reports and stories and, and just testimonies of how you're challenging yourself to grow, how you want to grow. Listen, uh, if it doesn't challenge you, it's not going to change you. And, and so it's a part of growing your faith is setting some goals and challenging yourself to grow in your faith. And this little self-assessment will help you to do that. And you've been so uh, work with on that one. And I'm just, uh, I'm pleased as your pastor. All right, Genesis chapter two, verse one. Let's pick up the story here. Sometime later, God tested. Everyone say tested. God tested Abraham. Who tested Abraham? God did. He said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, his name is Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Did you see the last four words of that verse? Go to the mountain, Mount Moriah, arrange that I will show you. He heard that same four-letter phrase from God some 25 years earlier when he left his homeland, he left his people. God said, go to a land that I will show you. I'm sure that rang in Abraham's ears. He was just like, oh, okay. God's got a, he's got another little blessing for me. Okay, this is gonna be interesting. Okay, so uh, I'm going to follow you, God, who's obedient. Here's how we know he's obedient because he accepts the test. Now, we have to ask ourselves this question before we go any further. Why does God test us? Ever thought about that? Why would God test you? Now, notice scripture doesn't say that God tempted Abraham. There is no temptation. Temptation is 100% incongruent with God's character. In other words, God can't tempt you, but he will test you. Uh, James chapter one supports this idea. It says this, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God doesn't tempt you, but he will test you. Why? Two reasons. If you're taking notes, jot these down, go on our mobile app under this weekend, and you'll find the message notes there. Here's the first reason. God wants you to know if your faith in him is real. God, God wants you to know if your faith in him is real. God already knows if your faith is real in him. But God wants you to know if your faith in him is real. And you know how you, you see the, 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 the genuine nature of your faith? Do you know how you see it in its purest form? If, if it's an authentic faith, if it's a firm faith? See, that's revealed when you're tested. Because friends, it's so easy to deceive ourselves in thinking that we have giant faith, but a test reveals the true size of your faith. 
And giant faith is not how loudly you praise God in the happy times. Giant faith is how deeply you trust God in the dark times, in the testing times, in the moments when you're wondering, God, are you there? Are you around? Do you hear me? Do you see me? God sees, he hears, and he knows where you are. And perhaps he might be testing you in order to grow your faith. The, the, the second reason is simply that. God wants to grow your faith. God wants to grow your faith. He doesn't want you to make a decision for him when you were a little boy and never grow you. It's just like, parents, come on. Do you want to have a child and they never grow up? Yes, some parents are honest. You don't want to keep waking up and doing diapers and feeding and changing them and taking care of them. You want them to grow up, get an education, get a job, and be a productive, contributing citizen to the United States of America. Now, if that's true for you as a parent, is that not true for our Heavenly Father? He wants you to grow up in the faith to make a contributing impact in his kingdom called the kingdom of God. That's what he wants. He wants to grow your faith. And here's the amazing part about our God. When we, when we fail a test, he's so gracious toward us because he wants to, he wants to encourage and he wants to, he wants to train us and he wants to give us some strength exercises so that the next time we hit the test, we'll pass it. I see some sports athletes over here. Got some athletes over here, whether they're doing drills on the basketball court or in their weight room for the football field. You know why? Because we exercise so we can perform on the field. You repeat jump shots so that when it's like March Madness and it's like the time is winding down, you've, you've taken that shot so many times so that you'll pass that test. Or you'll hit that gap and do a cutback because you know exactly you've studied the film. God is so gracious to us that he will help us study the film. He'll take us back in your chair time when you blow it in a decision and you find forgiveness. Go back and ask God and say this question, God, how can I do it better next time? He loves that. God, you know what? That person, I just, I lose my cool with them. So will you help me? Give me a line that I can say to them so that I can show your heart toward them or at least be nice to them, okay? Okay. Like, God will help you. Why? Because he wants to grow your faith. He wants to grow your faith. You know why? Because your faith is precious to him. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, out of the contemporary English version. It says this, Your faith will be like gold that has been tested in a fire, and these trials, these tests, will prove that your faith is worth much more than gold that can be destroyed. Your faith is more valuable than gold to God. More valuable. And God gets your faith refined by the tests and the trials of life. That's why the Bible tells us that we can rejoice when trials come our way. Now, I know that sounds countercultural. I know that sounds counterintuitive. Rejoice? Are you serious? Yeah, that's what the word says. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know. Listen, if you're a Jesus follower here today, here's one thing that you need to know about the tests and trials of life. You need to know what they produce what they grow inside of you. 
because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, makes you strong, gives you stamina. It helps you not to have a flimsy faith, but a firm faith. So you say, okay, Adam, well, that's really nice, but uh, who was tested in scripture? Answer, everybody. Jesus was tested. Remember when he went to the wilderness? The apostle Paul was tested. He was given a thorn in his flesh. He prayed three times, God, would you take this away from me? And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. I want you to have this thorn because I want you to know that my grace is made perfect in your weakness. If Jesus was tested and if the apostle Paul was tested, why would we think that we're not gonna be tested in the 21st century as North American Christians? You're gonna be tested, friends. You're gonna be tested. And if you wanna have a giant faith, you have to welcome those tests and you have to have the proper perspective. So here's the point of the message, write this down. Being tested by God is simply being a part of the process of becoming more like him. Tests are a part of a sanctification process. What does that mean? That means you become more like Jesus in your thoughts, in your attitudes, in your words, in your lifestyles. It's the tests and the trials that grow us the most. It's the defeats. It's the things that you think, oh man, I blew it there. Those are the very, that's the very seedbed by which growth occurs inside of our lives. Okay, so. Let me show you how this happens. Because when you're tested, you have a choice. When we go through a test, we have a couple choices, but I'm gonna highlight the extreme choices, okay? The first choice is this. When you're tested, you can either turn away and take steps away from God, or you can lean in to God. And when you lean into God, here's what God will do. He will pour out his grace upon you. Not that he doesn't pour out his grace upon you when you move away. It's just that you can't sense his grace because you're taking steps away from him. His grace wants you to return to him, to lean into him, because when you lean into him, he pours his grace out on you. And what it does is it, 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 it fertilizes a growth in you. What is the growth? It's confidence in who he is. And when you combine your confidence in God and your obedience to him, you begin to develop a giant-sized faith. Let me show you how it happens in Abraham's life. Look at verse three. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When they cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Notice, when did Abraham do this? Early in the morning. He didn't think about it. He didn't do it after, the, uh, after his little afternoon nap. He did it immediately. He was obedient. He was obedient. Verse six says this. Abraham took the wood for, for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and he said this to, to his father Abraham. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac doesn't understand, but his trust, his confidence, and his dad's response is noteworthy. Look at verse number eight. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. God will provide. God will provide. 
You know, last week we talked about how God is our source. What if God is our source when it comes to our finances, but what if, what if God is our source when it comes to our sacrifices? What if when we sacrifice and we lay something on the altar, God gives us a blessing and a provision that we never expect it coming our way? So when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there. I, I can't even begin to comprehend this as a parent. As a dad of two daughters, I can't. What happens in these next few verses, I, I can't even, the tension, I can't even begin to describe to you. Abraham built an altar like he had built altars many times before, but this altar of sacrifice was like a, a sacrifice that he's never sacrificed before. And there he arranged the wood on it. Can you imagine? He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, Isaac was trusting his father as Abraham was trusting his heavenly father. But I got to tell you, I have two daughters, Grace and Ella. Grace is our oldest. And if I ever tried to pull a stunt like this with Grace, she would throat punch me. If we decide to come to church and I said, hey, uh, here's uh, some, uh, here's some uh, uh, rope and we're going to build a little altar. How about you jump up on it? Boy, I tell you what, she would deck me real quick. She'd run out, 911 and I'd be in out of gaming jail, okay? But you gotta understand that historically, blood sacrifice and altars were a part of that context in the Old Testament, okay? Now, you have to also understand, this is a test. God is testing Abraham. And in the test, something powerful happens. Look at verse 10. Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife and he was just about to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Thank goodness he had a deep friendship with God. He knew his voice. He said, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know. I wonder if God can say that about your faith. Now I know. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. A true worshiper of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus never withholds anything from him. Always is willing to put the most precious possession, the most precious person on the altar to lay it down for the love and the affection and the devotion of Jesus Christ. This is where Abraham is. Now the text tells us that as Abraham hears from God, something beautiful takes place. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. Now, let me just pause here for a second. When it comes to the study of rams, as I was doing some research, rams don't typically run to the highest point of a mountain. So a mountain Moriah might have been at the base of the mountain or mid-range, but a ram would never go to the highest point. It's just not the way they're designed. 
However, in my mind, as I was thinking about this, here's God's provision and his source. As Abraham and Isaac and the two servants and the donkey were going up one side of the mountain, being obedient, demonstrating giant faith in the word of the Lord, the command of the Lord, what was God doing? God was taking an animal that typically doesn't go to those altitudes, and he was saying to this ram, I'm going to lead you all the way up in the mountain so that you can get caught in a thicket because God was going to provide for Abraham a source, a provision for that sacrifice. And sometimes you won't see God's provision unless you go to places where no one else will go. Sometimes you won't see God provide for you. You won't see his blessing in your life until you sacrifice the thing that you're holding on to. Because a sacrifice is saying, God, I want to give you everything. You have all of my heart, all of my life. It belongs to you. And so he takes and he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. He took the ram and he put him on the altar. The altar, that's kind of an interesting, that's like an interesting thing we don't talk about in church too much. Well, what's, what's an altar? Well, an altar is a place that you kill something. In the Old Testament, it literally means to slaughter. It's the word mizbiach. Mizbiach means to slaughter. In the New Testament, the word altar is a place, it's a place of sacrifice. A place of sacrifice. It, it means tustas and teron. Tustas and teron. Tustas and teron is a place of sacrifice. You know, in the Christian tradition, the altar is a space that's typically at the front of a sanctuary, at the house of worship. In an auditorium like this, this space up here is called the altar. Now, for some people, they think that the space is a little bit more magical than other spaces in the room. Like if you come up here, you're more holy. Or other people think, well, if you come up here, you're just more sinful because you got issues and you're coming to the altar. Neither are true, really, in the essence of, of what the altar is all about. In its purest form, the altar is an expression to say, God, I am willing to place anything at your feet because I want to have full devotion and love toward you. I want the purest heart. I want to be a true worshiper that will not leave anything in my life in front of you. And so I place it on the altar. I place it on the altar. Now, the good news is, in the New Testament, because of what Christ has done for us, our lives, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, that we are called living altars. Our lives are expression of full devotion unto Jesus Christ. It's your good and pleasing gift to, to sacrifice, just to lay everything down. And at the end of service, we're going to give an opportunity for you to do that. In your seats, in the chair pocket, there is these little blank index cards, and you can take them out, and maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now, and you know that there's something between you and God, and you need to write it down, and as people did in our first service, they just scattered things on the altar to say, you know what, I want to lay this down. I don't want anything between me and God. Just like Abraham did not want his son, his one and only son, between him and his relationship with God. But before we do that, I want to ask this question. 
Do you know what the most important altar is to us as human beings? The most important altar in all of human history. Do do you know the name of that altar? It's called Golgotha. It's the place of the skull. It's the place where God took his one and only son and sacrificed him on that tree, on that altar. And unlike Abraham, Jesus didn't get off that tree. It wasn't until he died that he could be resurrected to new life. He had to die. Why? He had to die for you and for me, for your sin and my sin. The perfect, sinless son of God to stand and substitute for our sins, to meet the wrath of God, the justice of God, so that we could be cleansed inside and out. That's the greatest altar. That's where grace met your sin and my sin. That is the defining act in human history for us to receive and have relationship with God because of what Jesus did on the altar. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to take a moment. And if you're watching online today and you want to make a decision for Jesus Christ, then I want you to do that today. This is such a critical moment where God is speaking to hearts If we could just be still for a moment, because here's what the Bible says in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. You're here today. And before you can lay anything on the altar, you know what you need to do? You need to receive the grace of God that flows from the altar, that flows from the cross of Calvary to your sin. Maybe you've drifted. Maybe you've never really made a decision. It's kind of been mental head knowledge, but now the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. If you're online today and you want to make that decision, you can just type in the chat, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Or you can tell somebody who's in the room, or you can reach out to our church, info at pathwayschurch.us. If you're in the room today and you need to make that decision, you know that you're not right with God and you need to receive his grace. If you would just raise your hand in this moment, I want to acknowledge you and then you can put it down. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? I'm looking to my right, your left. in the center, to my left and to your right. Okay, all right. Then as a church family, can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. You sacrificed him for me. And Jesus, you went willingly for my sin to be my savior. So forgive me. I confess my sin to you. And I ask you to come into my life to change me, to shape me, to lead me, and to guide me in your name. And all of God's people said, 
Amen and amen. Can we celebrate those individuals who made a decision for Jesus Christ today? That's exciting. So exciting.